I'll say a few thoughts about the Transfiguration, then maybe go a little deeper. I was just always struck that in the season of Lent, last weekend it seemed to make sense. You start with Jesus going into the desert for 40 days, which is why we do 40 days of fasting, prayer, almsgiving, just kind of like that desert experience with Jesus. But I was wondering, like, why on the second week of Lent, we totally shift gears, and suddenly it's Jesus glorified in the Transfiguration. And just a couple of thoughts on maybe why is that, first of all, I think they're like two bookends, um, the beginning and the end. Like, why are we doing this? Towards, not towards suffering. Fasting is not for the sake of fasting. The desert is not the sa- for the sake of the desert. It's towards the glory to come. And the apostles are getting a foretaste in the transfiguration of the risen and glorified Jesus. They're getting a little reminder, the cross is coming, but through the difficulties of the cross comes a greater glory. So it's like a Keep yourself motivated. Look forward to the greater things to come. The Transfiguration gives you a little commercial, a little trailer of the, the end of the story gets better than fasting. So thank goodness. Also, I think for what it's worth, the Transfiguration today is the body of Jesus transfigured in its glory. That's the bright light, that the, the, the brightness that could no fuller, no bleach could, could accomplish, no human bleach. It was just a great brightness of light. What's going to happen in a week? Palm Sunday, Good Friday, they're going to see the same God and Jesus transfigured in blood. His suffering, his sorrow, his passion. So he's just trying to prepare them. That it's both end. Don't worry when the suffering comes, because again, the glory will come after. So trying to keep their, their spirits up and prepare them for what is about to come. And lastly, just on the transfiguration, that scene, you have Moses and Elijah, and people scratch their heads. Why Moses and Elijah? I mean, you've got a whole Old Testament of so many books and prophets you could have used. Why these two? And there are a few thoughts there. I'll just fix on one. Um, the Old Testament is also referred to as the law and the prophets. Right? You typically would hear Jesus refer to the law and the prophets. That's just a, a summary of saying the entire Old Testament. All the writings of the Old Testament. The law and the prophets. Well, the law came through Moses, right? The Ten Commandments, the first five books, the Torah. That's Moses' writing. And the prophets will pick Elijah, the one who actually didn't die as far as we know. Elijah went up in the fiery chariot. So he represents the prophets and the law that bear witness to Christ. So that's what they were doing. Moses and Elijah, all the writings of the Old Testament bear witness to Jesus, but in person, in the Transfiguration, a summary of the entire Old Testament, the person of Moses, the person of Elijah, bear witness to Jesus. And again, right before his exodus, his passion and death towards the resurrection. That's the Transfiguration. And the liturgy gives us that to ponder and to go deeper into, but it also connects it to the first reading with, like I said, St. Paul's words in the middle, connecting the two. Remember the Old Testament in itself, some tremendous and beautiful and sometimes confusing stories that are great in themselves, great stories that, again, they were passed on for decades and centuries. These stories, remember these stories, remember this history of our people, remember this way that God revealed something to us through Abraham, through Moses, through the prophets. These stories are passed on, and they're great in themselves. And at some point, when Jesus comes, there's a new fullness revealed to us. It's like Jesus completes the stories of the Old Testament. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, the Jewish Testament. All the Jewish prophets promises look forward to him, and he fulfills them. So bear with me. I want to draw out some connections between this story of Abraham and Isaac and the full story, the New Testament, in God the Father and God the Son. Right? It's two stories of a father with his son. So bear with me, but first of all, just you have in the image of a beloved son, right? Isaac 
is the beloved son of Abraham. Yes, there was Ishmael, the son of the handservant Hagar, but Isaac was the chosen one. Isaac was the one through which all the blessings would continue to pour forth. Isaac was the beloved, cherished son of Abraham. And likewise, Jesus in the transfiguration, what does God the Father say over him? This is my beloved son. This is the one in whom I delight. We are all children of God, but Jesus is the Son of God, par excellence, in whom the Father delights. So you have that connection, that parallel of the beloved Son. Likewise, you have a devoted father, right? Abraham, devoted to his son Isaac, will do anything for his son Isaac, is going to give Isaac all of his inheritance, all that is promised to Abraham will be passed on to Isaac. And it's a devoted father. And the father also devoted to God's plan, to the ultimate plan for the good of all of us. Abraham is devoted to the Father's plan, to God's plan. And likewise with God the Father, a devoted Father. Jesus proclaims over and over again how close the Father is to him, how the Son does nothing outside of the Father because of his devotion, the Father's devotion to the Son. Jesus knows that he can ask his Father for anything. Do you not know, Peter, that I could ask even now that my Father would send 12 legions of angels and he would do it for me? Because he is my devoted Father. And he's devoted to the plan for the good of all humanity. He's devoted to that plan. Greatly devoted to that plan. He's a devoted father. Another connection, you see that the father prepares everything, right? Abraham leads Isaac up a high mountain. It's actually Mount Moriah. I mean, we might come back to that. Um, He prepares the wood. Abraham prepares the sacrifice, has the torch in hand. He has everything ready. The father prepares the sacrifice. And God the Father over his son aligns everything, providentially aligns everything. Jesus is successful and all of a sudden he's handed over to death. He's betrayed. He's condemned to death. He's led up the mountain of, of Sinai and the, the Temple Mount and he, he's, everything's prepared by the Father. The Father plays a role in the sacrifice. Another connection, the willingness of the Son. You have a very willing sacrificial lamb. Remember, Abraham is around 100 years old, supposedly, when this takes place. Isaac is about 30. If you were me or you, and Dad takes out the knife and is going to tie me up, I might say, forget it, Dad. You've lost your marbles, and bye. I'm leaving. Isaac could have stopped it. Isaac didn't stop it. Isaac was a willing son. Isaac was devoted to whatever was going to happen to him. He was surrendering to the Father's plan. God the Father's plan and in the hands of his father Abraham, a willing son. Be it done unto me according to the Father's word. And Jesus, the willing son of the Father, right? We say in the Mass every day, we say he, he, he willingly went forth to his sacrifice, right? He entered willingly into his passion. He prayed in Gethsemane, Father, if it is possible, let this sacrifice, let this cup pass from me, but not my will but your will be done. He's a willing son. He even carries the wood of the sacrifice, right? Isaac carries the wood of his own holocaust, and Jesus carries the wood of his cross. There's a lot of connections here. Lastly, for the moment, two covenants in each story, right? After the willingness of Abraham to sacrifice his son, God makes a covenant, a promise to him. Through you, Abraham, all generations will find my blessing. Through you, because you did not hold back even your beloved son. I make a covenant with you. And actually, food for thought, like all of those promises did pass through the descendants of Abraham 
to the entire world in all ages because Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. That promise was held true. That covenant was fulfilled. And then Jesus, who sacrificed, in the moment of his sacrifice, says, do this, the new and eternal covenant. Another, a fulfillment of the covenant. So they both are connected to this, this promise of God to his people. Now here's where the story changes, and I think it's really important because so far they've been very connected stories. Abraham is in the moment to sacrifice his son. He takes the knife. His son is bound on the wood of the altar that they put together. And what happens? What happens? Come on, wake up. What happens? God stops him. The angel says, no, you will not. Do not lay a hand on your son. Now I know how devoted you are to me. And if I were an Old Testament Jew, like that story is passed on from ages upon ages upon ages. Even the letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament takes it up again. Remember the faith of Abraham. Learn from Abraham. Imitate Abraham's faith. He was so willing to sacrifice even his son. Like God could ask of me to put $5 in the collection. Sure, no problem. God could ask of me to give my favorite stuffed puppy. And maybe I would give that stuffed puppy. God might even ask of me to give my favorite kitten. Although even that would be a stretch. But God better not ask of me to give my beloved son. But Abraham was willing to give even what he most cherished. And God stopped it from happening, but wanted us to hear the lesson. Blessed are you, Abraham. Look how devoted you were to God. Would that we could all be a little bit more like Abraham. But then you have Jesus. And again, this is where the parallel stops. And Paul's entire emphasis in the second reading is God did not spare his only beloved son for you. As if God were saying, you know, there's more to that story, y'all. You realize there's more to that story? Yes, you can see how devoted Abraham is to me. Yes, you can see I'd love you to have that same devotion to me. But I want you to see, God says to each of us, how devoted I am to you. Look at the wood upon that sacrifice and look that I did not hold back my sacrifice for you. Do you see, my brothers and sisters, my children, do you see how devoted I am to you? Because it's only in the light of that devotion that anything else I ask of you makes any sense. It's the fullness of the story. It's the completion of the narrative. God so loved you that he gave everything he had and did not spare even his only son. That's how devoted you are to him. It's almost a, it's like God wants us to have that message echo nonstop so that louder than what your friends or enemy, enemies may say about you when you're not there, louder than what you might whisper to yourself about how you're not worthy or you're not good enough or you're whatever, God says to you, and that sign echoes to us today, you are worth everything to him. He did not spare his only beloved son for you. We need to process that. We need to get that. What I would not ask you to do for me, Abraham, and then you can insert your name, I have done for you. That's how much you mean. We kind of skip over it in the first reading today. The liturgy knows that you're supposed to get out of here by noon. So we skipped part of that reading. But it's very important, the part that we skipped. 
There's a dialogue between Isaac and Abraham as they're walking up Mount Moriah. By the way, Mount Moriah, we've been talking about a parallel between these two stories. There's actually a geographic connection between these two, the two stories. Because later on, Abraham and Isaac are long before David, Solomon, the temple of worship, the temple of sacrifice. But Mount Moriah, we learn in Chronicles, is where Solomon built the temple of sacrifice. So that Jesus would be sacrificed almost in the exact same location geographically where Isaac was spared. The two are connected. We're always meant to be connected. But bear with me, because Isaac is walking with his father, Abraham, and try to imagine the emotion of Abraham. Because Abraham knows what's coming. Poor Isaac's just carrying the wood at the moment. And Isaac says, Father Abraham, I see that we have the wood for the sacrifice and the torch, the fire, for the burning. What does he say? Anybody know what he says? But where is what? Where is the lamb? Where is the lamb of sacrifice? Father, where's the lamb? Do you imagine Abraham being choked up as he tries to answer? Because Abraham knows who is supposed to be the lamb. And he says, God himself will provide the lamb. Then they get to the, the top of the mountain, the place of the sacrifice, and there's a ram there. So yeah, the story goes on. Abraham does sacrifice a ram. But the story's unfinished. Until John the Baptist sees Jesus walking along the waters of the Jordan River and John the Baptist recognizes, behold, it is fulfilled. Behold what? The Lamb of God. God's Lamb walks in front of you now. God's Lamb of sacrifice is in your midst, though you know it not. Behold, the story is complete. God has revealed to us. Behold, what God is willing to do out of love for you. It was supposed to be Isaac in the sacrifice. It was supposed to be you and me offered because of our sins. Anyone who's ever lost a loved one knows death has a real claim over your life and over my life. But God said, no, my son will take your son's place. My son will be in place of your loved one so that when death claims your loved one, when sin claims your loved one, I will give him back to you at the cost of my loved one. We need to get that. Lent is all about pondering and remembering, right? Jesus at the Last Supper, do this and remember. Don't forget the price that was paid for you and for me. Not to guilt you more, but with gratitude. That's why the Last Supper, the Eucharist, that word Eucharist, it's a meaning, the Greek meaning of giving thanks. You'll hear it twice at the Last Supper. Jesus took bread and what? giving thanks to God. Giving. Wait, he's going to die the next day. I would be saying, gee, thanks, God. Not sure I'm super happy with this plan. But he's saying, praise to you, Father, that you are willing to give up everything out of your love for this people, my people, my brothers and sisters. Praise to you, Father, that we will make the sacrifice for them. The Mass is offered through him with Him and in Him, O God Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, may all glory and honor be Yours for what You have done for us. May we never forget it. May the Mass be a renewal of our realization of what was done for us, the price paid for You, the value and worth that You have. I always appreciate it that our altar here at Holy Family happens to be a wooden altar. Sometimes you see marble altars. But it just kind of, it, it, it resonates, that story resonates. The wood of the altar. Abraham was removed, but the blood of Jesus is all over the wood of this altar. That's why the, the priest, when we, when we begin Mass and when we end Mass, what do we do to the wood of the altar? 
We kiss it because we know what happens there. We're trying to reawaken our faith in what happened there, what happens there, what is echoing every Mass on and on for us there. And I'll leave off with this because we're, we're over time and y'all need to finish by noon. But um, really, it's important. The Son was willing for the sacrifice. We offer the Son to the Father. You're going to put some money in the, in the collection basket, but ultimately, we have nothing else to offer the Father except the offering of the Son. So we, re, we re-offer it to Him. But then you and I, through Christ, in Christ, and with Christ, are the children of God. Full stature, as daughters and sons of God. We're invited to ask ourselves, Father, is there anything that you would ask of me, knowing what you've given for me, is there anything you might ask of me that I'm saying no to? Is there any way you're calling me to live that I'm saying, I don't know, Lord, I, 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 can't, I can't offer that sacrifice? We need to go there, especially in the season of Lent, to say, you know what, there's a hole where you loved me more than anything. Something in me says, not that much, Lord. I don't love you that much. Which is fine. We're human. We can admit it. But the point of the Mass, the point of our Christian lifestyle is to say, Lord, help me. I'm struggling there. I'm sorry for the times I can't say yes to you even there. But by your grace, which is why we receive Holy Communion, where I lack the strength, Jesus, give me your strength to go all the way to the cross, holding nothing back as a daughter of God, a son of God, making the sacrifice more perfect in my life, like yours for me, every day. May the blood of Christ, the body of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, in which we commune today, give us the strength that we lack this week to make our offering more perfect to the Father through Him, with Him, and in Him. Amen? Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, pray for us.